Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. First John, uh, in case you're newer to uh, the Bible, that is not the John at the beginning of the New Testament. Keep flipping to, to almost the end of the New Testament. And go with me to First John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. And today we are continuing in a series that we have been on uh, for six, seven weeks, something like that now. And we're in this series that we've been, uh, we've been, we have entitled, uh, I've Got Questions. I've got questions. And we've been talking about the reality of the culture that we live in today. Uh, We are not unique, that we are not the only ones in the only period of time where there have ever been questions. However, we're living in a unique period in history where it seems like the kinds of things and the kind of questions and the things that are being questioned themselves, well, it's changing. We've been in this series talking about how, how Paul actually spoke to this. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. You don't have to turn there, but you, you could write it down if you want. Uh, First Timothy chapter four, verse one, Paul says, in the last days, the Holy Spirit expressly says that doctrines of demons, teachings, philosophies, ideologies that are not intellectually inspired or academically inspired, but they find their inspiration and foundation in demonic inspiration. That doctrines, teachings, ideologies, these doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits, the spirit of the age, would, would creep in and would, would cause those who do not believe to move even further from the truth, but he would even creep into the household of faith and cause those who are of the household of faith, God's people, to begin to, to drift. And we have been in this series, uh, we've been putting language to, to this, or uh, we've been putting terminology to this and realizing or recognizing that we're living today in a postmodern culture. Now, I know that you may be uh, tired of hearing me uh, explain what that is, but in case there's anybody here today that hasn't been with us, uh, give me just a few seconds to catch you up. We're living in this postmodern culture, and a very brief overview of a postmodern culture can be defined in this way, that there no longer is any absolute truth. Postmodern and applied postmodern ideology philosophy would say this, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth or absolute reality. No, no, all we have is kindness and and, and love. Uh, Postmodern thinkers and writers would say this, that all previously known truth, all the truth and realities that previously were, were known to be truth, those are simply social constructs. Those are ideas and thoughts and constructs put in place by those who were in power for the purpose of just gaining and maintaining more power. And this culture we're in, what it, what it says and what it preaches is that all we have is love. Amen. All, all we have on these streets is love. All we have is kindness. And what is love? What is kindness? Well, love and kindness, it is to affirm and celebrate every person's self-realized and self-discovered truth and their self, its self-interpreted personal experience. Well, we've been talking about the complexity that it is to live in this day and age and in this culture. And we have, in the the first part of the series, just talked about the reality as men and women of God, we have to come back to some foundations. And first of all, we need the foundation that the Bible is not just a book, but the Bible is the, the, the final authority and the truth of God's word. We, we got to come back to the foundation that the Bible is truth. It is not just a book made by man, but it's divinely inspired. It is God-breathed, and it is truth that is timeless. Talked about the foundation of saying, no, 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 no. I am not God. I am not creator. No, God is God. That God is the creator and the originator of all things, and because he is the originator and the creator of all things, we posture our life to say, God, however you say things work, That's how things work. However you have designed this to work is how you've designed it to work. And that's not my call to make because I am not God. We talked about how actually so many of the answers to the big questions we have, they actually find their their foundation in these truths because God is not stingy. God is not holding truth. No, the Bible says that God, he gives liberally, generously, to all 
who will ask. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give freely and generously. However, the posture of heart matters and that the Bible says the fear of the Lord. That's not to be afraid of God. That's to have reverence for God. God, you're God and I'm not. At the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning or the starting point of wisdom. In other words, one will never truly ascertain wisdom or find truth until they pummel their heart to say, God, you're God and I'm, I'm not. We started last week talking about the complexity that it is to navigate relationships in this culture. Um, I, I won't ask you to raise your hand because I know that every single person could raise their hand. Uh, we've all experienced the complexity of relationships. Even when we agree with someone, can, can, can you admit that relationships can be hard? Can I get a big amen? And, and we, we've talked about how even just, you know, recognizing the, uh, the, the idea in, in theory that to be someone who stands over here and says, no, the, the Bible is truth. The Bible is the final authority. This is God. This is truth. And God, you are creator and heaven and hell are eternal realities. To stand on this foundation, well, it creates great complexity, does it not? When we live in a world and a culture where the narrative is, no, there is no truth. I mean, God can be a God, but just like I'm a God of my own life. And that, that, that's not final truth. And he, he's not creator. I get to dictate and determine my own truth for, again, all we have is love and kindness. And that is to, to affirm and celebrate everyone's individual self-realized truth. And, and today, as we continue we're going to talk about uh, what does it mean to walk in love in our culture today? If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Title of the sermon today is simply that. What does it mean to walk in love? And we're going to take uh, our, our best shot today at, at painting a picture of, of how we can and what it means for us as men and women of God to actually walk in love and to be people of love in the culture we're living in today. Uh, with that, I ask you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and we are going to read verses 7 through 10, and then we will circle back to verses 7 and 8. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, if you don't have that version, not a big deal, but it'll be on the screen uh, in case you don't. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live, listen to this, that we might live through him. Not, not that we might live in our own ways, but that we might live through, through him. And verse 10 says, and this is love, not that we, we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. Uh, circle back with me to verse seven and eight. We'll read it one more time. John writes and John says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Have you ever been in a fight or an argument or a disagreement with, with someone before? Uh, just this morning, first service, I came in, and there was 60 seconds left on the clock, and I went to go say, say hi to a couple people, and uh, it was a husband and wife, and I said, hey, how are you doing? H have you ever inserted yourself into a conversation and immediately regretted it? And I said, hey, how are you guys doing? And I could tell, not well today. And they said, oh, oh fine, we're just arguing here in the house of the Lord. And I said, all right, well, grace and peace, I, I gotta, <laughs> but... We've all been in arguments and, and had disagreements before. Cur currently, uh, there is a continual disagreement in my household as between me and my son because his favorite word to use right now and my least favorite word to hear is the word boring. Any parents on summer vacation, you can, it's like you've been out of school for 30 minutes. How are you bored already? But it's, it, it's his favorite word. And, and my disagreement with him is not even that he's bored or not bored, it's that he just doesn't use the word correctly. So I'll give you an example. Uh, this happens so often. Uh, it could be something like, hey, hey guys, it's time for dinner. 
Let's, let's all come to the table, wash our hands and come to the table. And um, they might say something like, well, what are we having for dinner? Whatever we're having for dinner, that's what we're having for dinner. Well, what do we have? Well, okay, we're having chicken and broccoli. And if I haven't heard it a thousand times, Graham, oh, broccoli's boring. Like, no, son, broccoli can't be boring, actually, because broccoli is not an activity. It's a food. Uh, another common thing that happens in our house often is, all right, guys, it's time for bed. Let's brush our teeth and get our pajamas. And usually the girls are like, boom, they're on it. And Graham is somewhere, it's his favorite thing at night. Like, he will have just been, like, running circles like an Olympian athlete. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, my legs are too tired to walk upstairs. They, like, the son, get your butt moving. But I was like, go put your pajamas on. And he'll go, pajamas are boring. No, son, pajamas are an item of clothing. They are not an experience or an activity. And whether you agree with Graham or not, uh, we disagree because we have different definitions. I classify boring as like it's an activity, it's something that you're doing, and sure, there are things that are fun and exciting and exhilarating, and then things that are just mundane and boring, but broccoli and pajamas are not activities to be classified that way. Now, I, I tell you all of that to, to maybe provoke your thinking to realize that part of this, this disagreement we have right now Part of the tension that we feel in our culture right now is that we're all saying the same thing, we just have different definitions. So it, it didn't happen in, in second service because, you know, we're much more intellectual, I'm sure, and we're just really leaning in and seeking revelation. But in first service, we, 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 we read 1 John chapter 4, and when we got to the parts where it says, my brethren, walk in love. God is love. We had a, amen. Absolutely. Pre preach it. Amen. Because as believers, we go, yeah, we should love people. Like we should walk in love. But have you considered lately that that message of walking in love is actually the same message our culture is preaching? It's love, man. Hey, hey, hey. All we have, my friend, is love. Just have, all we got is kindness. And see, the problem is, it's not in that we're, we're disagreeing on, on the message per se, but we have a big disagreement on the definition of that word. How the Bible defines love is not how our culture defines love. How God and scripture define for us what love is and what it means to walk in love is not what our culture has defined as walking in love. For uh, centuries now, in our culture, in particular the, the West, uh, we have defined love, culturally speaking, uh, being very uh, feeling-based and oriented around feelings. Uh, it's the classic, they just, we fell in love. We were at Sweet Frogs. We, ca we caught eyes across, across some frozen yogurt. I thought, I don't know anybody that likes vanilla like me. Everybody says vanilla is so boring but you like vanilla too. Hey, I noticed that you, you chose gummy bears and bananas. What an odd combination. Me, me too. And we just, we fell in love and we, we have this definition of love that's very feeling-based. It's all, it's all about how you make me feel. The feelings that you produce within me and the way I make you feel and the feelings that I produce within you. And, and that's not just you know, romantic relational, that's kind of cultural, right? Like, we, we define love based on how people make us feel. Oh, I love that person. And a lot of times what we mean is they're so funny. They're so fun to be around. I love being around them because the way they make me feel. And for centuries, we've defined love this way. Well, recently, and I, I can't give you a specific time period, but somewhere in recent years, our, our culture, we, we have taken those steps further and we've, we've define love in not just feelings, but we've, we've defined love in a more individual way, and it's all about our passions. It's very passion-driven, one of the mantras of today, and forgive me for using the word stupid in church, but it is stupid. One of the mantras of today is just follow your heart. Just follow your heart, and, and I'll just, in case that, that's your mantra, I apologize for calling it stupid, but I'm not calling it stupid. The Bible's calling it stupid. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, says this, that the heart is deceitful. 
and desperately wicked. That, that our, our heart and our flesh and our passions separated from the spirit of God that renews and regenerates and fills us and leads us. The Bible goes, oh, your heart. Please don't follow your heart because it is deceitful. How is it deceitful? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way legitimately that seems right. No, 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 no. Everything about it, pastor, it feels, it seems right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death and destruction. Jeremiah goes, oh, no, no, your heart, apart from the spirit of God and the word of God, filling it and illuminating it, and renewing it, it is, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. Don't, don't follow your, but, but this is how we've defined so much of, of love. Love is very feeling-based and passion-driven. What it has created is it, it's created these, uh, these social norms, uh, these cultural assumptions, for example, that one can't choose or determine how, how they feel. Uh, I'll just tell you who it is because first service, I said, there's an artist that I really like, but I won't tell you who it is in case you judge me. And I had like five people screenshot the song I was talking about. And they said, can't fool us. I said, fine, I'll just say it. Uh, I've been a big fan of, of an artist. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you have uh, a guy named John Mayer since I was like 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm literally writing this sermon and going over the notes. And all of a sudden, one of his song pops in my head. The lyrics that pop in my head are, you love who you love. You can't stop dreaming of who you're dreaming of because you love who you, who you love. And I thought, oh, that, this is kind of everywhere, isn't it? It's in the music we listen to. It's in all of the movies and the entertainment that we give ourselves to. It's in all of our conversations because it's become a cultural just assumption and norm that, no, 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 you can't control how you feel, man. You can't control the passions that you have. And so what's happened is in our culture, passion and feeling has become king. Oh, passion and feeling reign supreme to the point that another cultural assumption or norm is that anything that is in contrast to the way I feel is evil, it's toxic, it's bad. It's negative. Why? Because my feelings reign supreme. My passions, my feelings, these are, well, these are the God of, of my life. I, I know uh, a number of pastors, leaders, and even just people, I'm sure you do as well, that, that simply for just offering the truth of God's word or offering an alternative perspective have been completely marginalized have been completely uh, cut out of the equation in relationships. Why? Because no, no, no. Anyone and anything that will say anything that's in contrast to how I feel, that's, that's toxic. That's evil. Another cult cultural assumption, and this will be the last one that I uh, talk about, is that uh, because emotions and feelings reign supreme, that, that we should seek to alter truth and reality to protect emotions. No, no, because I, I can't control how I feel. I can't control the passions I have. And anything that's in contrast to these passions, that's evil, that's bad, that's toxic, that's negative. And so what, what, what I need to do, what we need to do is we, I got it, we gotta start changing truth and changing reality to make sure that we create a good fence and barrier so nothing ever threatens the passions and emotions that we, that, that we feel. Welcome to 2023 and welcome to our postmodern culture where again, all we have is love. All we have is kindness. Well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you because the Bible says that God is love. By the way, that has become such a cultural catch-all, has it not? Well, I mean, I don't really know what the Bible says. I'm not really 100% sure on God's will or his word or anything like that, but you know, God is love, so... And, and when you really go, well, define, define for me love. Well, love, because we can't control our passions and our emotions, and love is simply to affirm and celebrate everyone's individual self-realized truth and their personal interpretation of their, their, their experience. 
this creates quite a, a barrier. This creates quite a complexity, does it not, for men and women of God who are saying, no, we, we've actually been called to walk in love, but it's not the way that God defines it. Can I just say, I just have a strong sense that where we are right now in culture, this is one of those line in the sand, you choose this day who you will serve. See, so much, so much of following Jesus, so much of our relationship with God, it is about choices. It's not just about feelings. It's not just about going to the right church and getting in the right place because the vibe is, it's about choices. Joshua would say to God's people who were in sin in the moment, he would go, line in the sand. As for me and my household, we're gonna serve the Lord. You choose this day who you will serve. See, what you have to realize this morning is that you will be forced, maybe not right now, but I promise you at some point, you will be forced to make a choice. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, uh, 6, 24, I believe it is, he said, no, you can't serve two masters. It doesn't work like that. No, you, no, you, you don't get to serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other one, or you'll be loyal to the one and disloyal to the other. You can't serve two masters, but I'm telling you in the church today at large, we are trying to serve two masters. How do we honor God? but still be, you know, like super culturally relevant and inclusive. Paul says in Galatians 1.10, he says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, even Paul writes, and you don't, you can't please men and God. It doesn't work like that. You, you can't serve the cultural narrative and do everything you can to figure out a way to stay relevant and stay in. You, you can't serve God and culture. Choose this day whom you will serve. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest and I'll just be very forthright to say God has had to deal with even my heart in the last number of years because I've realized in the last number of years so many areas where I'm not actually being the pastor that God's asked me to be. I'm actually not anymore being the friend that God wants me to be. I'm actually not anymore being the man of God that I'm supposed to be because I'm too concerned about making sure I don't say anything that might trigger someone or offend someone. And so rather than speaking truth and rather than living my life and, 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 and basing my relationships on the truth of what the Bible says, I've in areas bought into this cultural idea of, well, I'm just, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I'm not trying to you know, get in anybody's business. It is a lie from the pit of hell. If you're taking notes, you can jot down these thoughts. Number one this morning, I want you to get this, that actually God's commandment, it is to walk in love. God's commandment is to walk in love. Now here's why I need that to sink in with you. Because walking in love according to our culture's definition is disobedience to God's commandment. So let's think about this for a second. We just read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, and we won't read it again for time's sake, but John writes, my dear brethren, walk in love. Love one another. He actually goes as far to say that part of how you can test your intimacy and your knowledge of God is the way that you are walking in love, for God is love. So, so God has commanded us to live a life that we walk in love. However, walking in love according to culture is actually disobedient to the, command, the commandment of God because God's commandment is not to walk in their ways, but to walk in his ways. See, God has given us a command, but we have to stop and say, well, wait a minute. God, if you've asked me to walk in love and if your definition of love is different, then how do you define love? I wanna give you two thoughts. Number one, you can write this down, that God's love is based in truth. Point number two today, God's love, it is based in truth. Did you know the most loving thing you can do is tell the truth? Uh, about, about a week ago, my, my daughter and I, we were at the grocery store and um, we, we were walking by uh, the aisle with all the sports drinks. She goes, dad, 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 can, can we get these drinks? 
She's been talking for weeks. She went to some friend's house and she's been talking for weeks about these drinks. Oh, we, we got to get this drink. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the drink is because if that's like your favorite drink, then I don't want to offend you or trigger you this morning. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. That was a joke, by the way. Come on. Um, but, but, but I said, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's two for three. Get two of them. Dad, you're, you're such a great dad. I know. You go, go home and tell your mom. I'm, I'm, I'm the fun dad. Husband, do any of you, can you relate? My, my wife, Jenny, she's always like, why do you always get to be the fun person? Why, why do you always get to be the good guy? I said, well, babe, the Bible says that God's given each one of us gifts and we should use them. I have the gift of funness. And so we, we get home and, um, and I don't know if you, you know this, but uh, you don't actually have to go to college anymore <clears throat> to be a professional in any field. That if you simply have a Facebook or an Instagram account, and you subscribe to one of the local mom's pages and you read enough articles, you could be a professional in any field. And um, so we, we get home and um, Dr. Jenny, who, who had read a couple articles and saw a couple things that moms were saying on Facebook, she goes, oh no, no, no. That poison's not coming in our house. I, I, I made the mistake for like 10 seconds. Me, me and Evan were both like this. Why not? And then I realized, oh wait a minute, I'm on the wrong side. That's right. This poison's not coming in our house. And so we had to have this conversation with Evelyn and we had to talk about, and this really, it led to so many other things that we needed to talk about, but how, no, because mom and dad love you because we love you. There are certain things that we do and we do not allow you to do. Hey, I, I don't really know if this is true or not, Evelyn, but if this drink really is that bad for your body, if this really is like poison for because we love you, even though you want to drink it and it tastes good and all your friends, the, the most loving thing we can do is say, no, 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 no. We love you and because we do, we want to protect your, your life from the inside out. Can I just say that if you really believe the Bible, now pause, I don't, I don't mean if you know what the Bible says, because there's a difference in knowing what the Bible says and actually having conviction about the scripture. But if you really have conviction about the scripture, you really believe the Bible, just think about it. The most loving thing you can actually do is, to, is tell the truth. Like we, we won't exhaust all of the scripture, but I'll give you just a couple thoughts. If I actually believe John 10, 10, that there is an enemy who's doing everything he can to steal and kill and destroy people's lives, destroy marriages, destroy, just destroy homes, destroy the family unit. If I really do believe there's an enemy who's come to steal, kill, and destroy in 1 Peter 5 eight, when it says, be sober and be aware for, there's an adversary who's looking for an end to devour your life. If I actually believe Romans 6.23 that says the wages and consequences of sin is death. Come on, I know I'm not the only one who's here this morning that, that knows stories and knows people, maybe even currently right now, who, who their marriage or their family or their finances or their children, in some way their life has been devastated by the effects of sin. If I actually believe the scripture and I actually believe that, no, 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 there is a way that seems right, feels right, your passion wants, but that there's an enemy who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking for opportunity to deceive and devour, and the consequences of sin, oh, they're always death from the ends. If I actually believe that, you're gonna have a hard time convincing me that the most loving thing to do is not to speak the truth. Be because I love my daughter. The most loving thing to do is go, no, I, I, I know you wanna drink the drink, but it's no good. Let's look on the flip side. If we actually did believe all the things that we sing about on Sunday mornings, God, you're good. God, you're faithful. God, you give us life. If we actually believe that stuff, the most loving thing we can do is start telling people the truth. That Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. That Jesus has not come to put religious handcuffs on anybody, but rather Jesus offers a way that we cannot get in our own way. He offers life and peace and freedom and healing. If we really do believe that eternity is real and that one day God will wipe away every tear, 
and heal every sickness and disease. There will be no pain and no more suffering, and we will live with him forever. If we actually believe that, you explain to me how the most loving thing is to not simply tell, tell the truth. This won't be on the screen because it was a late addition, but Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 through 12, let me read this to you. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 through 12 says, deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we didn't know, come on. Does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each one according to his works? You ever been kicked under the table before by your spouse? This was probably a year ago, Jenny and I, we were uh, with some, some cl cl close friends of ours, close friends of ours that are no longer believers though, and we're in this conversation, and um, all of a sudden, uh, politics and, and re religion comes up. And, and I'm, I'm shrinking back. I'm thinking, babe, we got a babysitter tonight. Do you know how precious this time is? We, we're living in like a form of paradise right now. We're at dinner with adults, having adult conversations. And if, if, if you know my wife, I love this about her. She's not neutral on anything. She's like, oh, you, you we'll go right now. And so I'm kicking her. She's kicking me like, like stop it. Like you're, you're ruining our dinner. She's like, you're not being a good Christian. What's wrong with you? And we get in the car and we get in this kind of semi-argument like, like, what were you doing? No, what were you doing? Because we had opportunity to just speak truth. And because you would rather the comfort and convenience of, of a peaceful dinner, you backed out. And can I be honest with you? She was right. That here, here, here I am in a moment of like, I have an opportunity to just lovingly speak truth. I think one of the things we got to remember is that it actually is our responsibility at all times. Someone say all times. At all times to uninvited and unapologetically just speak truth. That's not you got to get in people's business and you got to be rude and you have to be mean, but, but come on, if we really do believe what we talked about last week, that every relationship within it is the potential for purpose, that within every relationship is the potential for God to actually use you to be a part of his plan in someone's life and his plan on the earth, we gotta realize, no, even when I'm not invited, it's kind of my responsibility unapologetically to just say, hey, can I, can I maybe share a different opinion? Hey, I, I know you're not asking, but can I just share what, 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 what I think? Because the, the Bible says, and see, we gotta realize that love is based in truth, that, that the most loving thing we can do if we really do believe the scripture is to tell the truth. Because if the Bible is truth, and if Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full, and he has come to rescue and redeem us from eternity apart from him, I think we should probably start telling some people about that. How, how many of you would maybe agree with that? However, and we, we will close with this, we do have to acknowledge that while, while truth is based, I'm sorry, love is based in truth, that, that love or truth, it has to be seasoned with grace. Point number three, you can write this down and we'll, we'll close here, that love, it, it's seasoned with grace. Um, I haven't been particularly following my notes and so I apologize, uh, but we, we were supposed to have read a few moments ago, uh, John chapter one, verse 14. If you got a Bible, would you go with me to John chapter one, verse 14? Thank you so much. And we will work our way backwards a little bit. But John 1, 14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full, someone say full, full of grace and truth. So, so John writes in John chapter 1, verse 14, and remember, 1 John 4, uh, 7 or 8, it says that God is love. Someone say, God is love. Okay, so God is love. Hold that for a second. Well, John 1.14 says, and the word, he, he, he's speaking of Jesus. For thousands of years, there, there was prophetically the word spoken that God would send a Messiah, that God would send a savior, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only or would give his one and only. And so the, the word or the prophetic word that had been spoken, it became flesh. 
speaking of Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, hold your place there. Colossians 2.9 says this. Colossians 2.9, it says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Colossians 2.9 says that in the person of Jesus, remember God is love. In the person of Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Hebrews chapter, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the Father by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So God's speaking to us by and through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And listen to this, just the first part of this verse. Who, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So the clearest picture that we have of who God is, the clearest picture we have of what God is like, how, how God thinks, how God speaks, the, the clearest picture we have of God, it is the person of Jesus who came who was the express image of his person, the brightness of his glory, in whom all the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. That's important because remember, God is love. And John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And listen to how Jesus came. Listen to what defined the life of Jesus. And he came full, someone say full. He came full of grace and truth. You will not find anywhere in scripture that Jesus compromised truth. You won't find anywhere in scripture where he's like, you know what? It's not a big deal. It's fine. You know, I don't know if you've heard, but you know, I eat with sinners and tax collectors and I'm super culturally relevant. The people all love me, kind of a big deal. It's, it, I'm, I'm different than the religious leaders, so I'm, you, you won't find that ever. No, Jesus, he came and the message he came to preach was, um, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent, turn, change your thinking. So Jesus came full of truth, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. See, God's commandment is to love, but not according to culture. For God's love is based in truth, and it is, number three, it is seasoned with grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible verse that is above every single person's toilet in their downstairs bathroom. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long and is kind. Hey, God, how, how would you define love? Love suffers long. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself about. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. In other words, it believes the best in people. And listen to this. It does not rejoice in iniquity. but rejoices in the truth. All it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit or what our life filled with the Spirit should look like. And it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering or patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Love is based in truth, my friends. The most loving thing we can do if we actually believe the scripture is to tell the truth. Love does not compromise truth. Love does not find a back door out of the conference. No, love speaks truth. However, it speaks truth that is seasoned in the grace the mercy and the compassion of God. One of my favorite stories that I think just illustrates this so well, and we're not going to read it, but John chapter 8. 
I'd encourage you to, to go maybe read it this afternoon or take some time this week to look at it, John chapter eight. The Bible says that Jesus, he was teaching. He's on point number two. It doesn't say that, but you know. He's teaching he's in the middle of his sermon and in come the religious leaders and they throw before him a half-naked woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They say, Jesus, the law says she's deserving of death. Jesus, right here, we looked it up, we highlighted it, we put the bookmark there so you wouldn't lose your place right there. See, right? It says that the appropriate response to this is that as a community, we collect rocks. We throw them at her until she dies. That's what the law says. So Jesus, what do you say? You gotta love Jesus. He goes, well, you're right, actually. The law does say that. Man, all right. Well, whoever's here hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. The Bible says we don't know what he was writing. Scholars have different guesses, but he, he kneels down and just starts writing in the sand. The Bible says that one by one, they all drop their stones, walk away. Until the only ones remaining are this woman and the only one amongst them who was qualified to throw the first stone, the perfect, spotless, sacrifice for our sins, Jesus, our Savior. And, and I love that Jesus, he goes, hey, pick your head up. Who, who's left? In other words, he says, hey, can I ask you a question? Who hasn't sinned? What's funny is we have different categories for sin, don't we? Yeah, 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 Brandon, but I mean, like, I've sinned, but it's like, you know, I like accidentally said a bad word one time at Chick-fil-A because I ordered unsweet tea and they gave me sweet tea and I was like, oh, darn it. I, I, so I, I've sinned, but I mean, not like, not like them. Do you know that God doesn't have categories and classifications the, 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 the way that we do? Because we, we, we have a good way of going, well, I mean, I mean, I'm not that bad though. And all oh, we can get so judgmental and we can get so full of righteous anger and spite because yeah, but they, well, hold on for a second. Do, do you have spotless, perfect sin? No, the Bible says all have fallen short of God's glory, all have sinned. There's not one amongst us today that hasn't, isn't, and won't in the future fall short in some way of God's perfect standard. Jesus goes, who, who, who's, who, who's left? Well, I guess it's only you. I guess you're the only one qualified to judge me. He says, yeah, but I do not condemn you. See, that, that's where someone goes, see, I knew it. I knew it. He's soft on sin. He said he wasn't, but, but you got to finish the verse. He said, no, I, 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 I don't condemn you. However, there's a better way. How, how, however, this is not the way. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus, his whole ministry, all, all we see of him, oh, he did not compromise truth. He spoke the truth, but he did it in a way that was full of love and compassion and empathy. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he can relate to you and I in our weakness, for he himself was tempted, yet he did not fail. He himself was tempted. He can empathize and sympathize with our weakness. Can you, can you empathize and sympathize with the weakness of other people? Or can you only see all the areas that they're so bad, but you're so... See, love does not compromise truth, but love is wrapped and seasoned in the grace of God. You know, the Bible says this, that it's the kindness of God. 
It leads people to repentance. Can I ask you, you might have truth in your pocket, but is the law of kindness on your tongue? The Bible says the law of kindness should be on our tongue. Oh, you, you might be right, but are you right though? A lot of times we're right, but oh, we are so, so wrong. Three, three quick thoughts. How do we actually live this out? I'll just say the, the, the first thing you need is you need. Some of you this morning, you, just a line in the sand, you need to recommit to becoming a person of God's word. I'm, I'm reaching for this like it's a Bible. It's not a Bible, but pretend for a moment that it is a Bible. But you, you gotta recommit yourself to, to time in the scripture. Paul writes, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewing, and the washing, and the cleansing of your, of your mind. Well, I don't really have time, man. I'm busy. Work is crazy. Kids are in sports, lots of hobbies. Kindly, graciously, I would just say, you do not have time to not be daily renewing your mind meditating and memorize. How, how are we going to stand for truth when we do not know truth? How, how are we going to stand in truth and not be conformed when our mind is not being washed and renewed to the truth of God's word? You, you, you need God's word, but can I also say that you need to become a person of prayer? How, how many of you, you can, you can agree because you have stories and examples, conversations that you prayed before you had them are usually different than the ones you didn't pray before you had them. There's something about praying for people. There's something about praying and interceding for people that it softens our heart. It fills us with the mercy, the grace, the compassion, the empathy of King Jesus as we pray for people before we, we just bring truth to people. And lastly, I don't know if I could find a more not inspiring or not encouraging way to end a sermon, but here, here we go. Lastly, you know what I think we need? I think we need, just need to settle in our hearts. Not everyone's gonna like you and not everyone will repent. What, where did we somehow get off in thinking that the metric of success is everyone loves me. If I do it right, the whole company's gonna be like, whoa, we love Bob. Bob is our new favorite employee. You know, ever since you started bringing truth, the way, the way you did it, everyone, company meeting, we're all gonna repent. And where did we think that, that everyone was gonna love us and everyone was gonna like us and everyone was gonna, this is not scripture. Jesus said, if they hated me, why would you not think that you'll experience a measure of that? Jesus preached a lot of sermons and had a lot of conversations that people went, okay, well, I don't see it that way. So, see ya. Why do we think that, well, no, I mean, if I do it right, I guess, everyone will love me, everyone will speak well of me, and everyone will respond appropriately. Yeah, right. We just gotta settle on our hearts. It's not actually my responsibility, the decisions people make. My responsibility is to stand on the truth of God's word and be obedient to his commandments. That's to walk in love. That's to speak the truth, to do it with love and kindness, but to be a person of truth. And you know what? Not everyone's gonna like me. Not everyone's gonna be my biggest fan. That's okay, because that's actually not my goal. My goal is not to be the most popular person in my neighborhood. It's not my goal. Not everyone's gonna go, wow, great point. I, no. Some, some people will turn and walk away just like they did, but that's, that's okay because Jesus said our responsibility, one plants, another one watered, but God gives the increase. We're, we're trusting God with results. Can I get an amen? I'm not responsible for it. I'm trusting God for results. God's the one who brings results. My responsibility is to go, no, God, I'm not bowing my knee Line in the sand, I choose this day, I will serve the Lord. I'm not bowing my knee to a cultural definition of what it means to love. No, I will walk in love. I speak the truth. Do it with the kindness of God on my tongue and trust that God is somewhere in the middle. You're in control. I can cast all of that care upon you. 
breathe deep and rest easy. For God says he gives his beloved sweet sleep. I I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but can I just encourage you, wherever you are in the relational dynamics that you're facing, whether it's a child, spouse, a coworker, someone on your team, your work environment, God wants you to walk in love. Yes, God's commandment is for you to walk in love. And the most loving thing you can do, Holy Spirit, help me to not compromise, but to speak the truth. Because I believe everything you said will happen, will happen. And therefore, God, I'm going to speak the truth. Holy Spirit, fill me today that the fruit of the Spirit might be evidence in my life and the law of kindness might be on my tongue. But help me that I will not compromise. I will not back down for the most loving thing I can do for my friends, for my family, for my world, God, is to speak the truth to preach the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come to bring life and healing and freedom and anyone who would turn to him and repent would be forgiven, reconciled, and renewed with the life of his spirit. Can I pray for you today, God? Today, as we close, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church right now. And I thank you for even what you're doing in our lives this morning. Lord, like they did in Acts chapter four, when they recognized we are in some challenging times, but we cannot back down. We pray this morning in the same way that they did, that God, you would fill us with great boldness to proclaim your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill us with great boldness to not compromise and not back down, to not bow our knee to the cultural narrative, but to be men and women of God who walk in love according to scripture, who speak the truth of your word with the law of kindness on our tongue. And I even pray in advance for every conversation and every interaction we will have this next week that Holy Spirit, you will go before us and you will use us. You will give us boldness and courage and even endurance to not give up in the process of what you're doing in the lives of those those around us. We ask you everything you're speaking, you'd seal it in our heart today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, come on, all God's people said, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.